Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. for water and the people complained against Moses and said why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst so Moses cried out to the Lord saying what shall I do with this people they're almost ready to stone me and the Lord said to Moses go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house this morning, that we can lift up our voices and worship you, Lord, give you the praise and honor that you deserve. We ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds this morning to your word. It is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that you would minister to us, that you would change us, transform us, regenerate us, Lord, that we would not say that we've done our due diligence and we've done our service by coming into your house, Lord, but that we would be changed as we go out of your house this morning, Lord. We desire that we would meet with you, Lord, that we would dine with you, that we would have communion with you in this very place this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Is the Lord among us or not, it says. The title of the message this morning is Urgent Care. Urgent Care. How many of you have experience with urgent care? Dang. Some of y'all got issues. <laughs> Protect yourself. Our kids going into urgent care. So here's a description of the difference between the emergency room and urgent care. In the emergency room, urgent care, or excuse me, emergency situations, chest pain or squeezing sensation in the chest, seizure or loss of consciousness, severe abdominal pain, sudden paralysis or slurred speech, or uncontrolled bleeding. Any of these things are an emergency, and if they are not addressed immediately, you will die. You need to go to the emergency room. Now let's look at urgent care. An ear or eye infection. You can't see the Lord, you can't hear him. Cuts that may need stitches. If you don't close it up, you're going to continue to bleed. Possible broken bones or simple fractures, severe sore throat, sprain, strains, vomiting, and diarrhea. I don't need to explain that to you. 
This morning, in the story with Moses and the children of Israel as they leave out of Egypt and they're journeying through a place that many of us have been, this wilderness of sin, we're talking about people who have already been delivered. They had a life-threatening situation. They were going to die as slaves in Egypt, but they were saved. The emergency that they had was already dealt with. This is the emergency. We have to get care right now and get out of Egypt. We're going to die as slaves, right? We need life. We need hope. We need salvation. And they were given that. God sent a man. God sent plagues. God did whatever he had to do to deliver those people. And they knew that they were in an emergency situation. So they were willing to leave. The challenge is, now they find themselves in this wilderness, away from sin, where they left out of that forgiveness, but now they're in an urgent care situation, but they don't recognize it. When you've been delivered from emergencies, sometimes the, the, the urgent needs that need to be addressed, they're not so significant to you. You don't realize that they're just as important uh, as some of the major issues you've had in your life in the past. They're going through this journey. One thing that is required in your journey through the wilderness of sin, your journey into completion, your journey into further forgiveness and further uh, uh, deliverance is curbing the thirst. Curbing the thirst. You guys know I love movies. There's a movie called Blade, and it wasn't that great of a movie, but it's Wesley Snipes. You guys should watch it. So in this movie, Blade, they're all vampires, and one of the lines in the movie says that th the thirst always wins. The thirst always wins. These people are vampires, so what they're basically saying is that you can try to not want blood, you can try to not go and attack people, but the thirst is so strong that it's always going to win. I think for many of us, our struggles and our battles with sin and bad decisions, whatever it may be, we feel like the thirst always wins. It might be a month, it might be six months, it might be a couple years, and then we go back. The enemy would love for you to believe this morning that the thirst is always going to win. The enemy would love for you to be discouraged and think that you're never going to have victory, you're never going to have complete victory, it'll never really be behind you. It's just a matter of time before the thirst wins. That's not true. But you got to deal with the thirst in the wilderness of sin. They come out of Egypt... And they're walking through the wilderness and God trying to deal with their thirst and all they can do is complain. We're thirsty, we're thirsty. Give us what we want. Give us what we need. How do we overcome the thirst? How do you overcome the thirst? Moses identifies two major problems and why the people can't, can't overcome their thirst. He says they're contending with leadership and they're tempting God. That's what he said. Why are you contending with me and why are you tempting God? Moses is their leader. Moses is the one that God used to help them be delivered. And now here they are struggling with and battling through this wilderness of sin. They want what they want. They're succumbing to the thirst. They're, they're causing a muck. They're losing their minds. And Moses says, stop. Why are you contending with me? Why are you tempting God? Why are you forgetting what he's delivered you from? On Wednesday night in our Bible study, to give you a little bit of context, we were in Matthew chapter 26, and we talked about putting all of your saving faith into Jesus, right? Jesus is talking to, to the Pharisees, and, and he'll say things in his scriptures like, listen, do what they say, but don't do what they do, right? He'll, he'll tell the people, don't put your faith into men, put your faith into me, and we talked about that a lot on Wednesday night. 
I told everybody, listen, don't put your faith, your saving faith in the Pope. Don't put your saving faith in a priest. And do not put your saving faith in your pastor. All of your saving faith needs to be given to Jesus. He's the only one that will never fail you, never leave you, nor forsake you. Your earthly faith, you need to find some people who are worthy of you putting that into. And then you need to not contend with them. I recently asked someone, if I can't ask you a question or hold you accountable in advance of the decisions that you're going to make, and then I can't ask you questions or challenge you when the results of the decision that you've made come to pass, then what good am I to you as your pastor? Right? I can't talk to you in advance and, and, and try to help you, lead you, guide you, disciple you. And then once you do whatever it is that you want to do, I can't even have a follow-up meeting like, hey, did you see what happened? How can we do this different in the future? Well, then what need do you have of me? Why are you contending with me when I'm trying to help you? I can hear Moses saying this to the people. Look, God brought you out. Don't tempt him. He delivered you from Egypt. Please believe me. He knows how to take care of you in this wilderness. Contention means to fight against, right? Many of us fight against those that the Lord has sent to help us, right? They say the number one contender, which means they're ready to battle and fight against whoever the champion is. So why would we have contention with those that God has sent to help us? Why would we fight them? What did Jesus say to Paul? He says, why are you battling me? Why are you kicking against the goads? I'm here to help you and you're fighting against me. If we really look at our lives, we have the same issue Paul had, right? We're the number one contender against the people God has sent to help us. See, when it comes to urgent care, we fight against that care. You know why? Because we're hurting and because we're scared. I asked who's been involved in urgent care. Everybody raised their hand. If you think back to when you had to go to urgent care, you were scared. Something was cut, something was broken, your, your child was bleeding, right? You don't know how it's going to go. You don't, you don't know these people who are around you trying to help you, so you fight against it. I don't know you. People that are there in that situation before medical attention gets there, they come in and you're like, look, I don't want you touching me. I don't want you trying to stop the bleeding. I don't know you. I don't trust you, so I'm going to fight against you. But they're actually sent to help you. The crazy thing is that when we need the care the most, it's often early in our faith, right? And it's being offered by people who we don't know and we don't trust yet. Think about that. Early in your faith, you just came out of, the, out of Egypt, you got saved, and now God's got you in this wilderness journey that you have to go on like every single believer has to go on, where you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with past, you're dealing with all these things. God sends this urgent care need, this ambulance shows up to help you, and most of us contend with that help, and we fight against it because we don't know you. Why do you want to be in my life? Why do you want to be in my business? Why do you want to know what's going on with me? And we fight against that. And God's saying, I sent urgent care for you. We need it the most in the time that we refuse it the most. Can anybody see the problem with that? What we like to do is say, well, once I get to know you, and once I get to trust you, and once I get to believe in you, well, then I'll listen a little bit. But that's not a reality. Check your own, your own uh, history. What typically happens is you develop 
a pattern of being disobedient and standoffish. So if it takes you six months to trust this person, it takes you a year to trust this person, what have you been doing for six months or a year? You've been being disobedient and not allowing yourself to be helped. And you think that one day you're gonna say, oh, I, I now trust this person, I'm gonna reverse all that? It's unlikely, look at yourself, look at your walk, look at the walks of others. Has anybody had an experience like that where you just say randomly after six months or six years, you know, today is the day I now have faith in you and trust in you, not my saving faith, but my earthly faith, speak into my life? It doesn't happen like that. That's the problem that these are having in the wilderness of sin as they came out of Egypt. And you know what happened? They never got to a point where they said, Moses, we trust you, we believe in you, lead us, help us, disciple us, guide us. You know what ended up happening? They died in the wilderness because they wouldn't take the urgent care. One of the great frustrations for many leaders is trying to help people who think you have ulterior motives and that you're not concerned with their well-being. Have you ever been involved in a situation on either end of that, when you're trying to help somebody who thinks that you don't really want to help them, it's a tough spot to be in. When you're trying to help somebody and you can see it in their eyes, they're thinking, well, what's in it for you? Highly frustrating situation. And it's just as frustrating to be on the other side where you need help and you don't really trust the people who, who are apparently there to provide it for you. One thing I think everybody needs to remember here in this place, and hopefully it'll give you peace in, in this, uh, this idea of urgent care, is that God is always supremely concerned for you. Amen. Right? Like, don't forget that. If you're worried about somebody, you're worried about your friends, your family, your spouse, who's really got your best interests in mind, your pastors, your leaders, don't forget that God is supremely concerned with your well-being. That's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You shouldn't worry about anybody or anything else if he is on your side, if he cares for you in your situation. If he's who you say that you believe he is and that nothing happens outside of his will, what kind of peace can we have? Matthew 23 verse 1 says, Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples. There's two different groups of people, church. There's the multitudes and there's the disciples. There's a bunch of people who say, you know what, I'm going to go to church and, and I believe in God. And then there's people who are actually being led and following Jesus Christ as disciples. Matthew 23, 1, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Man, we have a good God. He commands obedience and wisdom that is, and has wisdom that's far above our understanding. Jesus says, look, listen to what you're told because they sit in Moses' seat. It's about order. It's not about your feelings. He said, however, don't do what they do because they're just preaching it and not living it. And I would add a little bit more to that today. If you're somewhere where they're preaching it and not living it, go somewhere else. Isn't it amazing that Jesus has to tell the people in the church, do what they do, but do what they say, but not what they do, because they're not living it out. Today, we don't have the issue of there only being one temple and one place, one holy city. There are plenty of places where you can go and be obedient. There are plenty of places where you can go 
and listen to what God is telling you to do and have somebody who is modeling it for you. Not just talking about it, but being about it. But what we like to do is say, I'm going to stay somewhere where I don't think they're really about it. They're just talking about it so that I don't have to listen or do it. That's crazy. That's a waste of a Sunday morning if you ask me. There's football on right now. There's tailgate parties going on. There's places you could be. Why go somewhere where you're not going to be obedient and you're not going to see it modeled for you and then call yourself a Christian? Moses says, why do you contend with me and why do you tempt the Lord? Exodus 17, our scripture today, verse 4 and verse 5. Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. God, you sent me to help them, and they want to kill me. The Lord said to Moses, go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Moses, stop crying, stop complaining. Go do what I told you to do. See, my job and the job of the elders in this church is to guide people, to help people with their thirst and directing that thirst towards the Lord. That's it. Help people, guide people. God is the one who saves. No man or no church saves. By the Spirit of God, your eyes are open to who Jesus is and what he's done for you, and he will save you. Then he sends servants to help guide you, to curb your thirst for the old and the dead, and to put your thirst into the things of God. Psalm 42, 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's what we're supposed to come into church like. God, I can't wait to get into your rivers, your streams, your love, your satisfying water, your satisfying flow. As a deer runs all over and they can't wait to get to the stream, that's how I am all week. I can't wait to get to church, to be in your presence, to worship you, and to pant for that living water. Where's our thirst? Obedience. And it, it comes for all of us, church. Don't take it personal this morning. Take it personal this morning. Comes for all of us. Song number one today during worship. I felt the Lord said, get on your knees. I'm like, Lord, I'm in the front row. <laughs> like, hold up. Like, tell me that when I'm in the back. He said, get on your knees. And so I'm like, maybe that wasn't the Lord. How many of us have been there? God talks to you like, maybe that wasn't you, Lord. Anybody? Amen. Like, maybe that wasn't the Lord. Song number two. I said, get on your knees. It's like, Come on, Jesus. And then I start making pseudo-spiritual decisions. Well, look, if I do that right now, Lord, and I'm in the front row, people are going to think it's because I came to the front row and I want to be seen getting on my knees like I'm going to bow down before you. So I really can't do it because I'm going to hinder somebody else. <laughs> Song number three, now you got to go to the altar and get on your knees. And then I'm thinking about what I'm preaching today about obedience, and it's like, how can I talk about it if I'm not going to be about it? And then we sing this song, uh, falling on my knees in worship. <laughs> I had to do what I had to do. Thank God somebody's willing to come rescue me, Jesus first, and then he sends somebody to help and to pray for me. Y'all ain't ready today. When you need urgent care, and you understand it, you're willing to take and receive that urgent care. You know that it's been sent for you to help you. 
The elders in this church, we spent a lot of time together. This particular weekend, Raymond, Gary, and myself went away, left our families, left our kids, uh, left all kinds of things, and spent time together talking, praying, uh, planning, evaluating where we are as men and evaluating where we are as a church, uh, evaluating where we are as individual families, evaluating what it is that God is speaking to us and wrestling with things and arguing and all kinds of stuff that we did um, because it's what God's called us to do. The one area when we left early this morning and <clears throat> got, in, got in the car to come here and be here this morning, the one area that God kept saying to me was urgency. Urgency. Amen. Like urgency. We talk, we plan, we pray, we do all these kinds of things, but there is an urgent need for people to be obedient to God. When we're taking our time figuring certain things out, when we're taking our time evaluating, when we're taking our time deciding if we're going to listen or not listen, when we're taking our time deciding if we're going to be obedient or not be obedient, people are dying. Relationships are being uh, 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 destroyed. Kids are being lost to the enemy while we're taking our time as if there's no sense of urgency. Right now, I believe that many of us are dealing with things that require urgent care. And if we don't redirect our lives, get the care that we need, call on God for his power, his presence, his intervening love, many of us are going to be killed by things and suffer loss by things that were not life-threatening when they started, right? See, there's life-threatening emergencies where you need to go to the emergency room and you're going to die if you don't get there right now. But many of the issues that we have, they're significant, but they're just urgent care needs. Go get the care. And if you don't do it, it'll still kill you. We ain't talking about a heart attack and somebody's got to put the, the shockers on you and shock you back to life and get your heart going, right? We're talking about some of those other, other urgent care needs that it talked about. You might just have a simple cut, but that simple cut, if you don't get the urgent care on it, it's going to get infected and that can still kill you. It'll take your marriage. You may still be alive, but you'll be alone. It'll take your kids. They still belong to you, but they ain't serving God. There's an urgent need in probably every single life here in this place. Joshua 24, 15, listen to what Joshua says. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods with, which, which your father served that are on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a decision that has to be made about truly serving God, and it is an urgent decision. Joshua's saying, look, you choose. Who do you want to serve? How are you going to live? Who are you going to be obedient to? Who is going to be the authority in your life? Choose for yourself, but choose today. He doesn't say take your time and and come to a good decision and and think logically and be patient and do all. No, he says today. I don't care if you came into this place not thinking there was a decision to be made. He says today, choose for yourself. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. He is going to be the final voice. Choose if you're going to serve God, and if you choose to serve him, serve him. We can't be double-minded, one foot in, one foot out. Choosing when we're going to be obedient and choosing when we're not going to be obedient. That's not choosing to serve the Lord. That's choosing to make him like the, the, the priority of everybody else. 
And then when convenient, he's no longer the priority. That's not Lord. Sometimes the will of God is going to line up with what you want to do. And thank God for those times. Right? When you want to do something and God's like, that's my will for you. That's my plan for you. Then it's exciting. I love serving God in those times. But when the rubber really meets the road is when you want to do something and God said, that's not my will. And you have to be obedient. Imagine if church and life with God was just doing what you wanted to do and God always co-signing on it. Imagine you walk in and God meets you at the door. Hey, what do you want to do today? How do you want to live? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to spend your money on? How do you want to treat your wife? How do you want to treat your husband? How do you want to use your body? How do you want to use your finances? Okay, I'm down with it. Let's do it. That's not how it works. As we're obedient and we grow in him, our desires change and we actually end up wanting what he wants. And we find joy. But you got to work that out in the wilderness of sin. you got to curb the thirst. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you ask God for wisdom, he says, I'm going to pour it out on you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to send people to help you. I'm going to send urgent care. But if you ask and you doubt what I say and you doubt who I send, then don't expect to get anything from me. You're double-minded. You ask me like you want it. I tell you what I have to say, and then you say, I don't believe that that's you. You ask me for help, and I send you help, and then you say, I don't like the way that the help came, what the help had to say. So please don't expect me as God to give you anything because you're double-minded. I'm not really Lord, and you don't really want my help. See, what really sparked this message is just being tired of watching people risk everything and oftentimes lose everything because of bad decisions at critical times in their lives. I'm so tired of watching people make bad decisions at critical urgent care moments and losing everything. And even sometimes when they don't lose everything, by the grace of God, I can't believe that we continue to risk everything. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of having to watch people risk everything and lose everything. I'm tired of feeling like Moses and saying, saying, why are you contending with me? I'm talking to you for your good. I could be at home. I could have been with my family this weekend. I could be, I mean, it's not about me. It's about you. Why are you contending with me? And why do you continue to risk everything? Do you want to be alone? Do you want to be broken? Do you want to lose everything? Why? Why are you tempting the Lord, your Savior who saved you? Stop. Make him Lord and be obedient at all cost. But nobody wants to hear that message because we can go to another message that says, oh, name it and claim it or just believe it, it's going to happen. Or look, God is so good and his blood is so good that no matter what you do, you're going to be blessed. That's not the truth and that's not what the Bible says. The truth is we're going to reap what we sow, that oftentimes his mercy, just like any good father, we deserve something, but he's still going to give us good. But he loves us so much that he has to, at some point, make us accountable for the decisions we make. Otherwise, it's not love. I can't say I love my kids and let them do whatever they want and behave however they want with no consequences. That may be how they want to be loved, but that's not love. And we think our father in heaven is different somehow. 
We need urgent care, we need obedience, but we often refuse to be treated and refuse to be discipled. I had a friend just recently move to tears because someone that we mutually know right now in this moment is in the process of losing everything because of a bad decision. The problem is disobedience and unwillingness to be treated. And so me and my friend are, are sitting there and we're talking about this particular situation and he's crying. And part of me feels bad because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a pastor. I should probably be crying. Like, you have an awesome heart, bro. Like, you know? Because I'm not crying. He's crying. And it's because, man, we just can't believe this person's making the decisions they're making, that they risk everything. And now it's not just a risk. They're literally losing everything. But I told him, hey, you know why I'm not crying? Because I'm just way too focused on using this as an opportunity to make sure I don't risk everything and lose everything. And I'm way too focused on the other people who might be out there saying right now, I need help to be discipled and to be led so that I don't risk everything and lose everything. As leaders, as disciplers, as pastors, we have to ask ourselves some very challenging questions. Have we preached the truth? Have we been willing to disciple? Have we been willing to counsel? Have we given the whole counsel of God? Do we lead multiple Bible studies every week? Do we answer our phone? If that be the case and you still want to risk everything and lose everything, then I'm going to focus on those that want help to not risk everything and lose everything. So he cries and I don't cry. But then I said, thank God we have both sides of that coin within our church. You need the laws and the commands of God and you need the grace and the mercy of God. Who wants urgent care? Who wants urgent care? Who's willing to receive from who God has sent? Who's willing to say, I know that it's the best thing for me, even though I don't like the way it looks, don't like the way it tastes, likes the package that it came to me in? I want to close with this, and hopefully it'll put a smile on some of those blank faces. <laughs> there is hope in the hard things when it comes to life with God. There's hope in the hard things. It's not an easy message this morning, but I'm telling you there is hope in the hard things when it comes to a life and a walk with God. We have to stay the course in our times of trial. Don't redirect, don't change direction, don't go back to Egypt, don't say I'm not taking another step till I get some water, stay the course. Don't be double-minded. Know who you committed yourself to. One of my favorite scriptures, I, I can't tell you the chapter and verse, but it says, uh, I am convinced in he who I have put my hope in. I'm convinced that he's capable of doing what he says he's capable of doing. I may, be feel, I may feel like I'm about to die in this desert, but I'm convinced in the one that I put my hope and salvation in, my trust in. In the kingdom, we often hear things we don't want to hear. We find ourselves in positions and circumstances that we do not want to be in. But the God we serve is the God of miracles and the God who defies logical outcomes. Amen. Right? Amen. That's my God. My God says, here's the logical outcome. You did this. Here's the situation you're in. And it's inevitable that this should be the logical outcome. But I'm God, and if you let me be God and you stay the course... This will be the outcome that defies logic. I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. I'll give you deliverance. I'll give you hope. I'll give you restoration. I'll give you back everything that you lost. But right here, you have to stay the course. 
If you jump ship, if you go another direction, if you say it's all my fault but it's never going to be restored, don't expect anything from me because you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. But if you've come to know me and see who I am and how I work, it doesn't matter what your situation looks like today. It doesn't matter what you're battling. It doesn't matter the bad decisions that you've made. You're still here, and there's hope in the hard things. If we don't jump ship. Last week, I talked about being a bondservant of Jesus. Paul said, I've sold myself under the authority of Christ. I'm a free man who says, I'm going to take my freedom and I give it to you, Jesus. I don't have to be a slave. I don't need to be a slave, but I'm going to I'm going to be an indentured servant. I'm going to come under your authority willingly. You lead my life. You run my life. Right. See. Paul's commitment to Jesus as Lord put him in many, many tough situations, just like sin and disobedience put us in many, many tough situations. Which one would you rather be the case for you? If you know tough situations are coming, would you rather it be because of obedience and servitude to Christ or because of disobedience when it comes to your relationship with God? Hard situations are coming. I don't know a single believer who doesn't have hardship. I don't know a single Christian that gets to avoid trial or tragedy or difficulty. It's coming for all of us. Is that a depressing message? Ray, stop recording this. (laughs) What I've told you so far is you're disobedient, you need to obey God, and tragedy's coming for you. Who wants to go to that church? But it's a reality. So which which place do you want to sit in? This is my fault because of disobedience and because of sin and I'm getting what I deserve or this is the will of God for my life because I know that I'm obedient, I'm being discipled and that he's going to take care of me. Which seat do you want to be sitting in when trial and difficulty comes for you? Paul finds himself in this last story as we close bound to guards. He's getting handed off to guard after guard. He's bound hand and foot, and he's going from ship to ship to take him to be on trial for his life. They're going to decide if he gets to live or die. And all of this is because he's been obedient to the will and call of God in his life. Right now, in your urgent situation, I want you to think about it as I read this last scripture. The decisions that you make right now will determine if there's life or death in certain areas of your life. All right? Paul made a decision to serve God. There was difficulty in trial, and now he's going to have a real trial that's going to say, do you live or do you die? You and I have a decision to make whether or not we're going to serve God and whether or not we're going to receive urgent care in your situation right now. And the decision you make today in that area is going to determine whether there's life that we get to testify about in that area of your life or death. Another story of tragedy and loss because of disobedience and unwillingness to receive urgent care from God. Acts chapter 27, verse 7. Paul says, When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Solomon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, 
not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Paul says this journey has been long. This journey has been hard. There's been difficulty around every corner. I shouldn't even be here. And then he tells the people that are there, listen, if we keep going, it's an urgent situation. If we keep going the direction we're going, we are going to lose everything and our lives. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken of Paul. The helmsman and the owner of the ship is who's leading and guiding this man's life, who gets to make the decision. He doesn't care what Paul has to say. He says, look, we're on a ship. I trust the helmsman. We're on a ship. I trust the owner of the ship. I don't trust the man of God to tell us what I should do. I trust my financial advisor, not my pastor. Right? I trust a, a secular counselor, not a Christian counselor. Because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the south and northwest and winter there. So they're sitting here at port. They could be safe. Paul says, don't sail. Just sit here. Wait for God. Weather the storm. And it says, everybody starts talking. Look, we can't stay here because there's not enough to provide for us here. Let's risk it and keep sailing and we might make it to safety. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. Not long after that, a tempestuous, tempestuous headwind arose called Eurycliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. You know what that means? It means they could no longer steer the ship, so they stopped fighting and said, just wherever it goes is where we go. And that's where a lot of our lives end up. I'm no longer in control, so I'm going to just float and let it be what it is. Imagine all these people on a ship, and Paul said, don't sail, and now they can't control the ship at all. It's just floating. <clears throat> Running under the shelter of an island called Clotta, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to gird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail, and they were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from, fruit, from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you, say urge. urge. Sound like urgent care? <laughs> you should have listened. I told you not to sell. And now I urge you, I'm giving you urgent care. <clears throat> I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Yes, 
Paul says, I already made my choice before I got on this ship with y'all. I know who I serve, and the God that I chose and the God that I serve, he stood by me tonight when you're hopeless. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told to me. I'm not double-minded. I'm not wavering. I'm not looking for other options. It'll be just as it was told me. Verse 26. However, we must run aground on, this, on a certain island. When the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run on the ground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. We have to stay the course and we have to stay in the ship. God said to Paul, I am taking you somewhere. You who have chosen me, you who have made me Lord, you who have put your faith in me, I'm taking you somewhere and it doesn't matter what happens in this world, I'm going to get you there. And you know what? On top of that, I'm going to get everybody who's with you wherever I'm taking you, whoever's close to you. Every man on this ship, they're going to make it because they're around you. And then what does he say? Paul tells the centurion, this man's in chains as a prisoner. And he says, hey, listen, I know you guys dropped the anchors. I know you think we're close to land. You've been making terrible decisions since I got on this ship. I'd advise you to listen to me now, and it's urgent. You see those dudes dropping the skiff down, the little mini boat, that think they're going to jump in there and leave everybody behind? Unless they stay in the ship, we're all going to die. What God would tell you and what God has been telling me this morning is that, yes, we have an urgent need. Yes, he is providing urgent care, but stay in the ship. Stay the course. Trust God. Don't lose your mind. Don't lose your way. Don't start acting out of character. Don't be double-minded. Trust the Lord. Last thing he said in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Whatever your urgent need is this morning, Isaiah, would you come? Whatever your urgent need is this morning, the answer is not in the worldly. The answer is not in your own way of thinking. Your answer is not in your past experiences. The hope that God has for you is in his ship. When the disciples were tempest-tossed, when they thought they were going to die, Jesus came walking on the water saying, listen, nothing can harm you when I'm near. That's right. Nothing can overtake you. Don't jump ship, invite me into the ship. Don't jump ship, invite me into the ship. I don't know what everybody's situation is here. I don't know what everybody's circumstance is here. What I do know is, at some point, you've got to choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Is Jesus Lord and Savior? Has Jesus delivered you from your, your Egypt? Why don't you stand?
Stop thinking about other things right now. Stop worrying about other things. Stop talking about other things right here, right now. We heard a story about people traveling through the wilderness of sin, but before they got there, they were delivered from Egypt. They were slaves, they were bound, they were hopeless, and they were going to die in their slavery. But God sent a Savior and delivered them. If you have not been saved, if you have not been delivered, if you don't know that you're no longer a slave, that you're a child of God, that you've been forgiven for every single sin that you've committed, that nothing can be held against you, you can never be condemned, nothing else matters, and you are going to be ushered into the gates of heaven, man, why not? What's missing? Bible says that the word always goes forth and the ones that it impacts are the ones that mix it with faith. If you don't mix the word that you're hearing with faith, it'll have no impact in your life. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, it's still kind of one of those things where I, I know he exists, I believe that he's real, but we're kind of maybe in a 50-50 relationship where I appreciate him, but I run my life. I believe in the story, but it has no impact in my life. I understand the idea of forgiveness of sins, but I've never felt. You heard Mary testify about it. She said, on Wednesday night, I felt physically lifted in worship. If you've never felt sin physically lifted off of you, you don't know salvation. It's a knowledge thing in your head, but it's also in your heart that God created. Be saved. All those who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Anybody this morning, haven't done it, want to do it, done it but didn't mean it, <laughs> and this morning you would say, today I choose Jesus. I choose for myself this day who's going to be Lord of my life. Anybody want to be saved that's not saved already? Amen. Amen. The next call it's for anybody who has an urgent care situation right now. You know you got something going on. You're already saved, otherwise hopefully you would have raised your hand. So that list of emergencies, you've already been taken care of, you've already been delivered, but there's another list of issues you have in your life right now, and it's urgent care. You get to choose obedience, you get to choose faith, you get to choose staying in the ship, or you get to choose to continue maybe what you've been doing in that area thus far. But I'll tell you this, don't expect anything from God. Not my words, his words. Do not expect anything from me in this area of your life if you will not be obedient and you will not receive the care that I'm sending you. I believe in my heart that there's people here this morning who have an urgent care situation and I'm asking you to be obedient. I'm asking you to put all of your saving faith and hope in Jesus, but also I'm asking you to put your earthly faith in those that God would send to help you. If that's you, I want to pray with you as we worship. I want to release everybody else. They can worship. They can pray. They can go outside and fellowship. But if you know you came with an urgent care situation, don't go home with it. Altars are open. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you. For those that travel through the wilderness of sin, Lord, that we can have the example of what happens if you remain in that disobedience, Lord. They spent 40 years and not a single one of them made it into the promised land. They suffered loss and they died in that wilderness. They were saved, but they had a miserable salvation, God. 
We thank you that you give us another opportunity to say we can enter into the promised land, but the key is obedience, Lord God. We can enter in healthy, Lord, but we got to get the urgent care that we need. We ask that you would help us, God, deal with our thirst, not only to curb it, but to completely remove the thirst for the old, Lord. And as the deer panteth for the water, Lord, our soul panteth for you, our living water, our hope, Lord. We come to you this morning in need. We come to you with damaged lives. We come to you with, with shipwreck, Lord God. We come to you where it's been dark for 14 days, and in many ways we've lost all hope. Oh, but we hear the words of the faithful, God. We hear the words of Paul. He says, unless we remain in the ship, we are going to die. We will not jump ship. We will not go another route, another direction. We will not come for a pat on the back and encouragement, Lord God. We come to lay our lives down. We come to lay our authority down. We come to say, you are Lord. Guide us and lead us and give us the strength to be obedient, God. Watch over your people as we leave this place. Remind us that there is an urgent need. While we consider people are dying, while we consider we're suffering loss, there is no such thing as being neutral. There is no such thing as being lukewarm. The enemy does not take a day off because we haven't made a decision, Lord God. He's coming after us like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Help us to choose you, God. Help us to make you Lord. Send those that would be able to help us, lead us, guide us, protect us, encourage us, strengthen us, disciple us, God. And give us the humility to listen. We love you this morning. We thank you, God. We need you now more than ever. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me. Jesus, you made a way. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.